Welcome back to the Self-Harm Data Podcast. I'm here with Professor Tamsin Ford from Exeter University, who's just given a talk here. And Tamsin, one of the one of the key points that's come up in the conversation so far here in the room is this issue of access to data, and particularly the access that is now very limited because of what's happened with the, the law change with GDPR. Can you give us, for the uninitiated, a bit of an overview of what the issue is here for researchers like yourself? Well, it means that data that was freely available, so I think... Um, as Sally said in her talk, she was able to download the adult survey data um, from the previous survey, which isn't affected by the legal change, in seven minutes. Um, That used to be the the case for the two baseline surveys um, for children, so the one in 1999 and the one in 2004, but actually they are no longer there, and the follow-up to those you had to apply um, through quite an elaborate process to access those at the moment no applications for those are being handled at all whilst people work out the logistics and and you know we do have a duty to protect people's confidentiality and if you have particular you know young people with rare difficulties and or rare situations then there is a possibility that someone who was very determined might be able to work out who they were however in practice I don't think any of the research community I've talked to have ever heard of this happening so I think we need to balance the public good that can come from proper use of these data against confidentiality Um, and I think GDPR has made a huge number of people very anxious of doing that wrong and we haven't quite got our processes right so those two first children's surveys are not available to download you have to apply and go through quite um, a process which I think Sally described in her talk Um, we hope that we can get it a bit more streamlined whilst keeping proper governments and making sure that we protect the privacy and confidentiality of the people who are willing to give their data. But I think if you talk to the people who've spent maybe two, three hours talking, disclosing very personal details, they do it because they want people to learn from their experience. And I think a bit like... um, patient registries for children with disability if you talk to the parents they assume that we use all their data anyway and they're they're quite horrified mainly to find that we don't i saw a franz kafka novel cover pop up on the twitter feed while we were talking about this in the room so yeah it definitely felt a bit like that what 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 needs to change and who's going to be responsible for this change to be able to drive this Well, I think that is also part of the problem. So I think there are lots of people that have a little bit of responsibility, but we don't seem to have a coherent group sort of pushing it forward. I think we need a streamlined process that is robust um, and that, you know, there may be graded access or there may be some anonymised data that's absolutely fine to still download, and indeed there is um, still on the data archive, but there may be other data that you do need to demonstrate what you're doing but perhaps not quite in such detail I mean it to go from being able to download it in seven minutes to a year-long application process just seems absurd to me that there is a middle way where you demonstrate what you're going to do but perhaps not in such detail and um, perhaps you know particular cases or, or variables that might identify people are just withheld and you can't access those or you can only access them in a safe room where you can't take the data away. You know, there are lots of things that we can do and indeed are being done 
but I think we need to streamline the process. And, of course, it is going to need adequate resourcing. I think that's another issue. You have a very small team of people trying to deal with all these complaints in shifting stands of how we should do it, and not very many of them. And they're all really frightened of getting it wrong. I also wanted to ask you just really broadly about the strengths and limitations of the data that we have, you know, the survey data, this longitudinal data. Alan House asked quite a challenging question before in the Q&A, saying, you know, what, where do we go from here? Do we actually have any meaningful, reliable data here? What's your sense of that? Well, I think it was a very good question, and the measurement of behaviour when you ask people to self-report is always going to be problematic. Um, I, I agree with... Louis, um, that um, you know, the ideation data is probably the most problematic, but at least it tells us that those people who report about thinking about it are not terribly likely to move on to actually harming themselves. Um, and I think we, you know, we need to triangulate data from different sources. And when you start to get the same signal, I mean, the academic in me finds it fascinating, and I'm instantly thinking about what's different about that sample, what did they ask? And, you know, I think there is much more analysis to be done. And I'm not a self-harm expert, but, you know, the people who are, maybe we need to be trying to develop consensus questions, although I think that would be very hard to do, because some of this comes from the fact that you have data that's gathered for different reasons. So it doesn't surprise me that data from coroner's report differs to when you ask people and you can't ask those questions the same way but I think we you know academics and people using the data need to be aware of the messiness and look to try and understand the, di- the difference and just think about it don't take it on, on face value thanks a lot for talking to me thank you